Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. No more my Welcome into the Caucus Podcast this Thursday. It's just after 11.30am, Thursday, September the 3rd. Things may well have changed by the time you listen to this podcast. But, um, gee, it is seven Saturdays to Election Day. Parliament's risen for a second time. Parties are kicking off their campaigns again after the false start. Present and correct for today's caucus. Lisa Owen. Guy and Espiner. Scott Campbell. And Tim Watkin. Nice to have you in with us today. On today's agenda, the Greens, the Greens school, resignation calls, parties' election chances, all that stuff. The impact of social media on the campaign, more COVID confusion, and just exactly who is in the government these days anyway. We'll talk about that over the next bit. Let's start with the Greens. Yeah, so we've got James Shaw in the hot seat, really, and it's getting hotter and hotter as the days go by. So this is in relation to funding for a green school in Taranaki, $11.7 million, uh, which James Shaw was... um, pushing for big time, it now appears, and the funding was approved. Ah, but the problem is the Green Party has a policy. It doesn't support funding for private schools. So James Shaw calls a press conference after stalling or consulting for a few days and says this. The decision that I made to support this project was an error of judgment for which I apologise. If I was making the same decision again, I would not support the project. Becoming a minister means being willing to question your decisions in public uh, and, if necessary, to correct them. And that's what I'm doing. So, again, I apologise. I apologise to parents, to teachers and to unions. I apologise to Green Party members who have been working tirelessly in their communities to make sure that the Greens are a part of the next government and have felt demoralised by this decision. I apologise to the schools in Taranaki who, quite rightfully, want the best for their children. I might have been the only one who didn't get an apology. Wow! <laughs> Take it personally. It might have been. It might have been He's quicker to, really to, sorry. to name the people who he wasn't going to apologise to. Um, I do feel a bit sorry for for James Shaw on this. I think there's an element too of the sort of the prefect who was caught doing drugs or something. You know, it's it's because the Greens it, it takes such a the moral high ground a lot. People really enjoy putting the boot in when they fall short of that. And fair enough, I get all those concerns. Um, but I, I do think that they are paying the price a little bit for their previous occupation of the moral high ground. But this way. is always the problem, right? They, they, uh, they're supposed to be the good guys, and so when they don't, when they fall short of that, they, it plays into a stereotype yeah, for them. It's, I just it damages it's a, their it's reputation. It's a little bit unfair because others who, who don't play by the rules a lot will push their, um, their barrows a bit too hard um, a who, lot. Who are, you, who are you thinking of, guys? Well, no, well, no, in, in this, well, in this case, in this case... Um, you know, in terms of COVID spending, we saw $72.5 million 
announced by the Minister for Racing, Winston Peters, to bail out the horse racing industry. $72.5 million. Versus 11.7. And this, yeah, and this is... Um, now, people expect them to support the horse racing industry because he's had a long, um, close relationship and interest in that for, for a long time. So I suppose um, they, they didn't really blink an eyelid too much. And this, yeah, there was hypocrisy from the Greens. But I, I, but I hang do think it's been a bit overblown, in my view. But let's speak more bluntly about this. Are you saying, because this is a party that doesn't normally publicly hold people to ransom to get its way, that, uh, well, now that we've seen they've done it once and they've fallen a bit flat on their face, others do it all the time, so maybe we shouldn't worry so much about it? No, I'm not saying we shouldn't worry so much about it, but I, I think that they... Um, have the momentum behind it has has been in my view it's been a bit overblown. I'm not saying it's not an issue. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a significant one. I think sort of leading the news for a week on it has been overblown in my view. Scotty, do you got to wonder? This, yeah. You, you've got to wonder, though, it is a little bit of, and I think Winston Peters said this over the last couple of days, that naivety of a new minister or at least somebody who has not sat around that table uh, previously. You know, Looking at an application and just because it had the word green in it uh, and giving it a sign-off, you know, he would have been fighting um, the, the Labour side of that table in New Zealand first for um, possibly crumbs. And, and while 11.7 is not crumbs, uh, in the scheme of the however big that CIP process was, um, he got a little part. He went with a, a project that looked green, that sounded green, uh, that I guess is green. But it's just, it, it, for me, it demonstrates a little bit of that split between um, the the sort of um, business orientated side of the Green Party who are there to try and fight for the green side of things and that social justice side uh, and a bit of a disconnect between those two. And I think, you know, six apologies or something. Uh, he said sorry six times or something like that in his mere culpa. Good on him for, for owning it, I guess, at this stage. But it shows a huge split in that party. Yeah, it does. But if we can put the Green Party machinations to one side for a second. Yeah, we'll get to those in a second. Yeah, The thing that I really find interesting about this is doesn't it show us that projects are not chosen on their merit? And and shouldn't we be concerned about not that? Not in a crisis like this, right? This is, I mean, you said, the, the uh, Scott, the, it's, it was $3 billion, you know, and, and applicants had, what, 10 days to, to get in a bid for their Shafferty projects. All the projects had to be at least $10 million. So this was, you know, just above. Um, it was at the low end. And I think you're right. He probably looked at it and said, oh, it's got green in the title, tick. It's in the regions, tick. It's education, tick. It's, it's, it's a box-ticking exercise. Yeah. And you've got... 2,000 applicants in the end, whittled down to, I think, 150 they actually funded. Mm. Um, you've got to wonder about those it, other 149, right? It, because this was a rushed process. Yeah, but it's not even when it's not a rushed process. Come on, everyone's batting for their own team and for projects yeah, that are in the, areas where they need votes. Absolutely. Look at the Provincial Growth Fund. It's, it's, yeah. been, it's been handled in a, in a similar way. And yet, yet, are we following good process with these things? And should politicians be in the position where they're ticking off the, the things that will make their constituents, whether it's the Green Party or New Zealand First, that will please their constituents? Or should it, should it actually be um, neutral public some kind of commission. I, I just keep I kept thinking in that context about um you know you had Christiana Figueres from the UN climate change people on the after the virus podcast that you made, and I, I it just really stuck with me what she said that that in um we thought we had a decade to try and work on climate change, but that worldwide something like ten to twenty trillion dollars 
is going to expect, spend to the next year or two on all of these economic recovery, all these stimulus packages around the world. And she said, so that's now, that 10 years we had to fix climate change is down to 18 months because all the spending that was going to be spent over the next... Is locked, been, is locked in now. It's going to get decided in the next 18 months. So if we're going to get green change, then that's got to happen in these decisions now. So I can see why someone like James Shaw is trying to tick boxes and try and get green spending wherever he can tick a box, right? Well, do your homework then, if yeah. that's the oh, kind look, of spending yeah, that you want. Yeah. But also, there was Treasury advice. Let's not overlook the fact that there was... But ministers often ignore Treasury advice. Well, what's the point of getting it then? Which brings us back to Guyon's point about if we're spending big coin here, that does there need to be some kind of um, commission? And this is, we've discussed this heaps before, intergenerational decisions, which yes. is kind of what you're talking exactly. about with climate change. Taking the politics out of certain decisions that generations are going to be stuck with for years to come. And I'm not suggesting that a green school in Taranaki having a few extra classrooms or whatever is part of that. But if this is how decision-making is taking place, when you have advice from Treasury which tells you what, that the school is not even fully registered, right? Yep. And that even if it was fully registered, it wouldn't be on the top of its list for projects to choose. But you've got the infrastructure the Crown Infrastructure people saying it is near the top of their list and they like it, so you've got some official endorsement of it. Yeah, you have. But again... Partly the hypocrisy, though, is that, that moral high ground part, right, that um, uh, that the Greens sort of have have taken over the years and, and to question some of the spending, be it of national and, and throughout the sometimes New Zealand First and, and Labour. And I guess to, to the due diligence, supposedly, or at least this is what we've been told, was the minister having a look at a website and checking what it looked like. Uh, and, and if that is the level of due diligence by a minister, I think then that is a problem and a concern. But also because it wasn't that long ago in Parliament uh, where James Shaw was making um, all sorts of comments about the decision-making of New Zealand First, uh, of the previous national government. Uh, and that's I think for me that's where the hypocrisy comes in, aside from the fact that the Greens' policy is don't put money into private schools. So is it a resignation issue? No, in I, my view. I think he'll be judged at the polls by his own people, won't he? Yeah, yeah he will be. I, I don't know how many votes the Greens will lose over this. It probably stops some people coming on board, and if you are sort of a soft Green voter, that it may affect you. But uh, the Greens largely is a well-off person's party. And they won't like that, but it's true. And if you look at the seats where they do very well, yep. the Auckland Centrals, the Wellington Centrals, Urban if you go to the seats. South Auckland seats, they get very, very few votes. Yep. So it's quite comfortable um, people who are voting for the Greens. I don't think a lot of them are going to be put off by this. There's um, a big split between what the Greens want to be and what yeah, they really are, yeah, right, and yeah. that they are. They are very much – there's a lot of middle-class um, and a lot of women voters who who come in behind them. That's their that's the party who the, the people who vote for them. And I can imagine some of those people would look at this and go, "Oh, this makes them." It reminds them of the mung beans, and it reminds them of the, with all the crystal stuff being talked about. It, but also reminds them of them: Are they serious? Are they fiscally disciplined? Are they responsible? It, it raises all the bad stereotypes for the Greens, and sure, will be kicking himself for that because the 
ever suited James Shaw has been trying to downplay that image for, yeah. for years. I don't right? know if people who are really serious about the environment and really serious about climate change, though, are going to ditch the Greens because ten million bucks was spent on a, on a school that's a, that that wasn't a great project. I, look, I, I agree. I'm is, not downplaying it. I yeah. just I, I, yeah. I think it's a serious issue. And look, I'm the first journalist to, to to get in there and say, hey, look, the due diligence wasn't done and hypocrisy. I get all that. I, I totally agree. I just don't think it's as catastrophic as some. It's a civil it. war. Isn't it? It's, yes. it's it's inside the Green Party. It is an opportunity, potentially, for some people who don't like what James Shaw stands for is one of the co-leaders, and maybe more interested in some of the social policy to well drive a wedge. Totally agree with that. But um, they'll find that um, they won't get into Parliament on on that. Because no, they'll kneecapping they, they, themselves. They need the um, respectable sort of green business face that James Shaw represents. Presents because a lot of their voters, as I say, uh, are wealthy. I've, I've talked to bank executives who vote who voted for the Green Party last time. But that's it, they, they do well in Epsom. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and I've, I've I've had you know the, the opportunity to sit in a room uh, with with James Shaw as he's been um, sort of leading conversations with a whole bunch of business types, uh, and he can hold his own. He is absolutely someone who can sit in that room, uh, who gets the understanding of the people in that room, who previously probably would have looked at a green invitation and gone, well, I'm not going to that uh, discussion. Um, but he has the ability to do that. And he's done a lot of work in that area over the last three years. It was quite interesting, I found, uh, when he was standing at the podium with Martin Davison, and you could almost feel the tension between the two of them. You mm. could see it. Uh, and then the questions that were being put to them around whether or not they thought it would have an issue at the polls. Uh, and both of them looked very, very shaky. And I think, um, you know, I, I totally accept uh, Guyan's position around uh, that sort of uh, the, the, the money side of the Green Party that will vote for them anyway because they see this as actually not being a bad thing. But there'll be that possible swing voter of the Green side who might be uh, now looking at them going, mm, well, I won't go out and vote on the cannabis reform and actually go and vote Green. Yeah, and I would think that if anyone's a beneficiary of this, it would be Labour. Yes. Um, I, I don't think those voters are going to run off uh, anywhere else. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you on, on, on this guy, and I think um, the um, vote with the Greens, the base is, there, there is that base of traditional Green voters, and this tension between the corporate Greens, if you like, and the more Liberal Greens is as old as the party, right? Well, to be fair to them, a coalition of those groups, I mean, that's okay. Yes, you, you can no, be absolutely. a coalition of, of different ideas. But there all, is, all parties are, to some degree, and, and there is a coalition between Green business-type folks and social justice warriors, and you, we, can, we can dress that up as a, as a big tension, and, and there will be tensions. It's yeah. in every also, party. It's, but it's also a coalition of interests, isn't it? It is, but it? there is a real anger. I think, you know, I, talking to some, some of the Greens people that I've spoken to who are not in the Shaw camp, they, I think there is a genuine anger there, because there has been, I think, a resentment about them for a long time. They don't like some of the, no. the the things that you're you're praising, Scott, are exactly the things that they don't want for and their party. Want it's to be not so, the party they want to be. And they want to be, right? be so pure that they're out of parliament. Exactly. Well, they but but they 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 will say, um, you know, the, um, this this guy has the big thing. I think will be that this guy has for three years said. I can only get so much done. I'm powerless. Winston Peters a bully and a chaos merchant. I can't get stuff through cabinet. I can't get um, what what we want. And he is not. Yeah, he has not put his horse. foot down. He has not put his foot down over water bottling <laughs> or um, carbon stuff or or a lot of the stuff that they wanted him to put his foot down over. And he's put his foot down over a private school. Yeah, I mean, I, he's I, getting. There's a lot of anger, I think, within the party about that. 
But when you look at it, these guys are in Struggle Street anyway, if we look at the polls, right? So they're hovering around 5% yeah. and have been um, for the year. But if we look further back than that, and I love a good poll result, and if you look back here, I've got um, the Reed Research poll back to 2014, and there is, it's the trend you look for, as we say, in these polls, oh. and it's only going one way and quite rapidly. So when you think that they were polling in 2014, 14%, 14 14.4%, 11%, you know, and this year, the various polls, best case scenario, I think, puts them at 6% in one poll and down to 4.7 in one of the others. So they're in that danger zone. And and Bryce Edwards wrote an interesting piece which he reminded us all that the Greens are the ones that tend to go down one to two points at the actual poll. Yep. So people like that, yeah. But but where are they going to go? I think Owen's point. Somewhat will probably go to Labour, but it, it's it's a pretty. But they just don't get out of bed, though. They well, just maybe don't get that's out of it. Bed, isn't isn't that the Is problem? That it? that, that's it's some they, will they look at the Maori Party. Well. Some will look at the Maori Party, but then they'd have to suck up John Tomahiri. If they yeah, go but to, they normally poll you know, well so, leading up to an election, but then get to election day, they're always softer on election day, and 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 you know it surprises me I, that an election campaign, or which we're about to go into, obviously, um, where we are talking about a referendum on cannabis, that the Greens are not don't have a stronger following at the moment. It should isn't it just logical that some side of that party will go out and well, gain because a Jacinda Ardern has eaten the left. I think you know. Ardern has become the mother of the left, and so and, and she the, the other thing to watch for, and this is more of a logistical thing, is is the specials this time because we don't have um, the Kiwi diaspora that we normally have, right? No. So normally you're on election night, you're waiting for the specials to come in because the Greens do very well on the specials, you usually get another seat. I don't think that's really gonna um, be such a factor this time. A lot of those people will be home. Yeah, true. Um, and I, and I think um, what Shaw has to do now is is just wait wait it out, right? It's, I still think strategically, if Labor stays relatively strong, people on the centre left in seven weeks' yeah. time are going to go. He's got six going to go. Weeks. Yeah. If this thing, this this thing will eat itself, they will they will go. They will sit there. So if you want a Labor Greens government, if they want a Labor Greens government, and they don't want New Zealand first, there's still a pretty straightforward path there for the for the left to to figure out how they want to play this. Yeah, but imagine those coalition discussions. You've got a guy who's been sitting, you know, in in a ministerial car trying to battle for money coming out of out of the government coffers, um, and that party at the moment, his own party's gunning for him. So yeah. uh, after the election, let's say they're sitting there and they're in a in a discussion with with the prime minister elect. Uh, what what do they do? Do they go back and sit around that table? Do they want to put themselves under that pressure again? Well, there's some big um, questions for them post election. Let's just remember that James Shaw was not the only party leader who was apologising this week. Um, Judith Collins had to apologise for um, some social media advertising that happened. Um, and this was around the, um, the uh, post by the National Party uh, talking about uh, Chris Hipkins' answer to Shane Duretti in Parliament last week, which we talked about on the show last week, the people not getting tested after three days. Um, but it was on a, on a fake Labour Party letterhead and Trevor Mallard, a speaker, said, take it down. And she said, yes, sorry. It is. So social media is an interesting um, uh, one. We're going to talk about a few of the examples this week, but what do you make of this, guys? Social media is certainly playing a, a role already before the campaign really kicks in. Yeah, I think with that National Party example, because we're going to talk about some other examples, so I think it's important to make the distinction. They got this slap across the wrist because yes. of the fake look letterhead that they 
superimposed the quotes onto. And also they abridged a parliamentary answer. They abridged it. They took out some of the content. So it wasn't the full answer. So that's why they got a whack for that. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's some interesting stuff on social media this week and the memes uh, regarding Jacinda Ardern. I'm going to be interested to see what you guys say about those because that was uh, in relation to Judith Collins's husband and a number of people were saying that they were sexist and misogynist and out of line. What say you guys? I thought they were just stupid. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I thought it was a stupid thing for him to do. Um, yeah, um, spouses can be off limits, but the public is going to to judge you to some degree about what you do as a unit, right? They are going to say that. I mean, if if Clark Gayford went out there and, and said something controversial, of course it would be it would be news. So I, I just thought it was um, a, a stupid thing for him to do and uh, very unhelpful. Um, to his partner. It's not what they want to be talking about. No, and I thought thought she actually handled it fairly well. Um, Well, let's have a listen to how she did handle it. Your husband's been sending out, Mm. you know, sulky, sulky Hulk memes. Uh, Do do you share his views? Do you know, we've been together for 41 years. I've never been able to get him to do anything I tell him to do. So (laughs) I've just, I've, I've, (laughs) I've just said to him, well, you know, it's not what I would do, but he's an adult. He he makes his own decisions. And I think he's just gets sick of people having a go at him and and me. But there we are. It's his decision. Let's put it this way. Um, I don't have to answer for him because, you know, I haven't been able to control him in 41 years. And um, I've got to play this next clip because it it, um, prompted a rather nice response from um, Grant Robertson when he was being questioned about the Green School in Parliament uh, yesterday. Mr Shaw's advocacy of the project is well and truly on the record. Um, Perhaps I can put it this way for the member, that a coalition government's a little bit like a marriage. You can't always control what your partner does or says. Um, To the Minister of Finance... Uh, well, perhaps he could then ask whether or not he can control his associate minister of finance. <laughs> As I said uh, to the member, a coalition government is a little bit like a marriage. I've known Minister Shaw for not quite 41 years, and I respect him, and I can't control everything he says or does. I think that that's that's where um, I agree with with Guy, and it was just silly. And, and what I think Grant Robertson did well there was he turned it back. Uh, on Judith Collins. And the, the, the trick with social media uh, is the ability to be smart on it. Uh, and, and something like the um, using the Hulk one around the PM being angry, um, it probably led itself to other people outside of the, uh, of the circle making memes about it. It doesn't need to be um, that close to Judith Collins. I think, you know, as an example, David Seymour this week, I'm not sure if you've seen it or not, but um, ACT used quite a, a, a smart tactic with social media where they had um, the yellow of ACT, but it almost looked like the COVID type of branding about making sure that you you vote correctly on election day, um, a critical message. And it was one of those things that was just smart. Mm. Uh, and Grant Robertson, I think, did the same thing there. Yeah. There's enough questions at the moment that you don't have to be dirty politics. I totally agree. I mean, um, we've been talking about the influence of social media, um, which is obvious, right? But uh, we're just not 
using it very smartly in, in politics at the moment. I'm, I'm amazed. Um, and here we are in 2020. I mean, even in 2017, uh, Twitter and Facebook were, 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 were a big deal, obviously. I, I'm surprised at the lack of sophistication that it's being used with it by our political that, parties. It's, it's, I don't know it's, a lack of sophistication and a lack of smartness is the same thing. Really simple, basic, visceral kind of stuff is actually pretty smart, isn't it? That's how memes work. It's a gut reaction thing. Oh, yeah, but what, what did he use the Cindy line and stuff? It's just pathetic. Um, yeah, but people respond to that. Isn't, isn't it, you know, I, it's not clever, but isn't it effective? I don't think so. No? For me, kind of, well, I thought some of the most dodgy parts of those memes were the references to woo flu. Um, and other things like that, which I think absolutely backfire. On the subject of controlling your spouse or yes. other half, I, I actually think, why ask that? It's not the response. You know, if if someone asked my partner to get me under control, I would find that highly offensive. Yes. Um, and the reverse. So why say to her? Well, it's sort look, of, and, it, and it's not it's not relevant. The, you know, the no. the the um, I went on the project this week to. Um, help pimp out this fine podcast that we make um, they used me as a commentator and I said there, um, you get two votes in New Zealand, one for the party, one for the um, electorate, you don't get a vote for the spouse or partner, that's what they think is irrelevant that the spouse or partner isn't making laws or sitting in select committees or anything so he can he can say what he likes I agree with that but the public is going to see it and, and have a view on Agreed. it and if you're on Facebook you are in public Yes. and would he have gone uh, to a public meeting and said that? Would he have gone on the radio and said that? Would he have put up a billboard and said that? Because it's the same deal. And I agree with you um, in theory, yeah, totally. Yeah, reality, you know, though. And, and, I hear you. But, but, but in, in reality, yeah. it's just a dumb thing to and do. And from a brand point of view, right, you've got a Labour government that's branded itself on the kindness party. So all you're doing is underscoring that you're not very kind on the other side, which doesn't yeah. help national. So I, I agree with both of you in the sense that you say you don't get a vote for the partner, and I agree with Guy on it. it, it um, you know, the proverbial sticks, and whatever your other half is doing is going to be associated with you, whether you like it or not. Um, and the other thing that I find highly interesting is that this is a guy who stayed quiet mm. for years and years <laughs> and years and then he's just had enough well one wonders because like James Shaw <laughs> well, when when all of that was um raining down on Judith Collins during you know the the John Key government over Oravida and she was mm. continuously being taken to task well he was he was in the company of course and he was yeah and he was in the company he was the conflict of interest it, yeah it was right. as i remember it it was communication silence from that department and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she's leader now, like, though. It's her party. But but the response there is a responsibility that comes with social media, right? And the fact is, at the moment, given given that uh, MPs and candidates haven't been able to get onto the campaign trail, everything is on social media, and, and people are just captured there, right? And and there isn't there's a responsibility that comes with that, and some of the stuff not from people or parties who are in parliament at the moment, but other parties or, or wannabe parties uh, are seriously concerning some of the things that have been said out there in social media. And you just hope that um, a click or an engagement or a like doesn't necessarily transpire to be a vote uh, at the polls because you wouldn't want to see some of these people get anywhere near 
the Parliament building. The, the kind of thing you're talking about, Scott, is the other main complaint this week, which has gone to the Privileges Committee, and the Privileges Committee have unanimously found um, this to be in, in breach. It's a um, posting on social media by the Advance Party, um, the People's Party of New Zealand, which is the Jamie Lee Ross, Billy TK vehicle, um, and they put out a... a, a um, uh, a clip uh, um, about a minute or two long. Um, we're obviously not going to play any of it because it is false and wrong and inaccurate. Um, but the guts of it is that it uses clips from Parliament saying of of um, Megan Woods's minister uh, saying that or implying that yeah. there would be a law passed that there is a law being passed that would force mandatory vaccination of people, of New Zealand citizens for COVID. It has been very clearly cut, though, because what she was actually talking about was the possibility that the law allowed for, which was that um, people coming in the future, people coming to New Zealand from overseas might be required to have had a vaccine and to be vaccinated before they're allowed to enter the country. So two very different things. Compulsory vaccination of New Zealanders on one hand, the, um, and the requirement of a vaccination for visitors on the other, or people uh, coming to. And New let's Zealand. be clear on that: the law as it is at the moment does not specifically state any vaccination no. for visitors. It leaves the door open to potentially introduce that at a later, at date. A later date. But there is no this mashup, if we can call it that, inferred mm. a mass vaccination. Program and it, got, and it got shared more than 5,000 times yeah. on Facebook. You know, you know what? I, I reckon we need to get serious about this stuff and fine people big time for fake information like this. You know, yeah. we, 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 we mess around and we, and, and, and we, we sort of, you the know... powerful we, privileges committee. We wring our hands and we send them off to the privileges committee or the advertising standards authority. I think, you know, in an election period, if you can have a, a designated period where you're allowed to spend so much money and you can regulate that period, you could say, especially during an election campaign, actually... Put the onus right back on them and say if if you're going to be if you've shown to have false and misleading information, you get fined big time, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Because that, that that'll make people sit up right. And even but the national, concern is that, always that it will stifle political debate because where's the line between well, the, the, inaccurate information well, and spin? This is a well, health claim, so there must be some. You know, I mean, this in, is a pretty clear cut one. I in, agree. in health advertising, there are very strict rules about what you can say. So you know, this is this is a public health issue and it is beyond a debate about various other um, you know, elements of a political yes. campaign. But how this do is... you draw that line? We, how do you draft that law? Well, to we're actually... having to do it all the time. In fact, mm. I think you sit on one of the one of the media <laughs> bodies that does that. Yep. And, 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 and media has, has to do that all the time. True. And, and you, you, you've got to stand up your claim. And um, if people make honest uh, mistakes or s smaller mistakes, then okay, fine. If you're found to have been deliberately misleading and grossly misleading, mm. well, maybe there should be a penalty for that because... Yeah, well, that's dangerous, right? It's that's, That stuff's not just dumb. It's actually dangerous. And I think the difference between, let's say, some of the political attack ads that you see in America, um, and, you know, you go back to the Hillary Clinton ones that um, that came out, of, you know, four years ago, um, those are they're blatantly, you can see them, right? They're, they're not just mashups that, that are mean, meant to be seen as being real. They are just mashups and, and they're there as attack ads. Whereas I think the difference with this one is that you've got, um, a, a, a wannabe party or a political party that's trying to push a dangerous agenda. And unfortunately, people who are living in uncertain times will latch on to these types of things. And that's, for me, is where the real danger is, that we're, that a section of the public will look at it and believe it. 
and, and I just think that that's I agree. Well, they are. And if you you got if you got pinged say thirty or forty k for that out of the party coffers and had to pay up, you, you'd think pretty seriously about um, whether or not you were going to do that. Well, even uh, the anyway. potential to take stuff down. I mean, the fact is that Jamie Lee Ross just said we're not. You know, we we think this is a draconian and terrible ruling by the speaker, and it's still there. It hasn't been taken down. Yeah, and the thing is, this is not the only person, uh, this is not the only statement that's being made that is dubious as well. You know, claims that um, Billy Takei is making about military being given the same powers as police officers. Absolute. Tosh. Yep. And and also, <laughs> and also thank you for that. You're Tom. welcome. It's very old-fashioned. <laughs> and, and, and also <laughs> other claims around 5G and other things. So we've got a lot of conspiracy theories circulating around this pair in particular. But look, let's call it now. I mean... Um, uh, time of death on their chances, <laughs> you know. About three weeks before they started. It's pretty hard. What do you need? About 135,000 votes, I think, to get to 5%. Well, well, it's pretty, it's not, pretty tough. They're not I mean, gonna if, make... if, the, if the Greens and New Zealand First are struggling, then these yes. guys are going to really... They're not going to make the 5% mark, so they're relying on Jamie Lee to deliver botany to them, right? Yeah. So what was oh, it? 13,000 vote majority for him last time when he was standing... As He's the, up against Chris the national, yep, the national yeah. candidate, and the party vote is even more of a romp in there, with sixty percent of the party vote going to national and only thirty yeah. percent going to Labour. So they were entirely, entirely reliant on Jamie Lee Ross. Goodbye before you even started. Yeah, but I mean the point is that they. No, look, I absolutely agree with that. I don't. I think. It's interesting that they will, you know, and, and the, 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 willy, the willingness of them to publish this kind of stuff. And Jamie Lee Ross is clearly trying to leverage this into a story which he can get publicity out of to try and find those votes. He's desperate. But these, it was New Zealand on Air research this week came out, and YouTube is now the most popular channel in New Zealand, ahead of TV1, ahead of TV2, ahead of TV3. Facebook is, is, is just behind TV1, um, ahead of TV2 and 3. These, these are the most popular and most watched things. Now, people aren't going there for news per se, but you. We all know how things appear on your timeline. Yeah, and well, this, back, back to, and back to side, my point, you know? we've got to get serious about regulation so they, for it. I mean, you have, a, you have a, a, a BSA regulating your, your, your TV and, and your radio. You can't just go on and say whatever you like. No. If these channels are going to get those sorts of viewerships, and that's for the Facebooks, the YouTubes and, and Twitter... Um, you, you should be regulating them seriously. But it goes back to your point, Scotty, as to whether views online translate to actual and support in, at the polling booth. Yeah, and, I, and I'm one of those ones who hopes that it definitely doesn't. I think that it's dangerous, the type of stuff that they're talking about. And, and unfortunately, there will, um, you know, there are, there are people who are looking for information. And, it only, and to um, Tim's point around YouTube being the place where most people go to get their viewing um, platform now. And, and that's the danger for me. Uh, and if you've got this the ability to go and use a platform, um, you need there needs to be responsibility and accountability around it. Well, uh, can I can I use that as the perfect segue into how you use a, a platform responsibly if you are indeed the prime minister or the minister of health, because the podium of truth has been talked about uh, this week a little bit, um, and it, it stems from. Um, the crisis, of, well, the confusion over the weekend about whether West and South Aucklanders should get tested, um, whether they're asymptomatic or symptomatic, um, regardless. Um, but it stems back to this um, quote that Jacinda Ardern gave back in March, uh, and she said this. I cannot go around and individually dismiss every single rumour I see on social media, as tempted as I might be. So instead, I want to send a clear message to the New Zealand public. Um, we will share with you the most up-to-date information daily. 
You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. Otherwise, dismiss anything else. We will continue to be your single source of truth. Mm. Single source of truth. Yeah, and Ministry of Health too, exactly. which is where the, where the information was up. I, I thought this was... I thought this was bad, and I thought it was damaging, and I thought it was one of the bigger missteps, and I'd put this right up to the top to the PM, actually. To have that out was damaging. You could have had people who had COVID, who were symptomatic, who'd gone, looked at that queue, and gone, no, bugger this, I'm, I'm going home, and didn't get tested. Um, they, th- they waited far too long before they pulled it down, and then I think weren't gracious and fulsome enough should have borrowed from James Shaw and his apology um, in, in, in their acceptance of what they'd done wrong. Um, and so I, I thought this was a bad misstep, and I'd push this right up to the ninth floor. But the, the, the decision itself, the wording itself, came from officials. Yeah, so sure. But she knew um, well before um, the, the 1 o'clock press conference, or might have been about one twenty or something, by the time she actually used the Q&A session with reporters to, to tell people it was wrong. I just think that they waited far too long to, to do that. Well, the Tulish response is an interesting one. Alex, can we play the second clip from Judith Collins? Was her government the single source of truth when it mistakenly told 700,000 Aucklanders to get a COVID-19 test and then failed to proactively correct the record? Mr Speaker, I refute um, the last part of the member's question. We did seek to proactively correct that information when it was identified. And Mr Speaker, as I said in the House yesterday, as I said in, uh, publicly on Sunday, a mistake was made that has been corrected. And again, I apologise to any New Zealander who had any anxiety as a result of that incorrect information. Yeah, and, and, and when I look at that and I listen to that, it's it's the fact that she sounds so defensive over the problem. Own it. You know, as somebody, you can't take the good without taking mm. the bad. And, and when you're mm. sitting in that position and saying, trust us, we are the single source of truth, and something doesn't go right, and let's be fair to the, to the officials and to the, to the government response on this, they've got most of that type of communication right. This has been one of the ones, the outliers, um, and it was a big one but then just own it. And I think that's, for me, the problem is when the PM sits here and goes, I completely refute that. Yeah, she doesn't just refute. Say, I hate no. the fact that they get that word wrong. Miss you. She, she hasn't she, proven She's rejecting anything. it. Exactly. But yeah. you're right. I, I totally agree with, with Scott there. And you see Joseph Stiglitz, the famous um, economist, um, uh, commenting, for, I think, for the IMF about singling out New Zealand's response as world class. Um, and I agree. They have got most of the communications bang on. But when you when you don't, you should own it. Yeah, but we're reaching critical mass here, aren't we? Because we're here talking because there's an election looming. Right. And that is the, that's the issue here. She's driving along in the car thinking to herself, I don't want a wheel to fall off before I get to the polling booth, right? right. And then whoop, the wing mirror's been clipped up by someone <laughs> as she's zooming along. And she's like probably thinking, God, can I get a break here? I've only got to last a few more weeks and hold it all together. Well, we've had something to talk about every week on this podcast. So far, you know, exactly. You go, and you go back to the woman leaving quarantine and you know going up the motorway the wrong way, the testing of border staff not getting done, the day three testing not getting done. Um, you it's, know, it it's, just it's stra- not, chip, strangely chip, chip. enough, strangely enough, um, without COVID nineteen. Um, they must, might have been in a much weaker position as a political um, entity. Because yeah. you look just today, um, woeful progress on, on child poverty, another area where they made huge promises and, and haven't delivered on. So, um, you know, in, in some ways, um, imagine what we'd be talking about in this campaign um, if it weren't for COVID.
Yeah, and that's and therein lies why she was so strong on wanting to go on September 17, right, and, and went all the way to the last day before making the call to push the election date out because these last couple of weeks have been everything um, you'd assume that she that, that that the PM didn't want to have happen. Some of these things are not in her control. Yes, they land at her desk, um, but they are the types of things that people will start questioning. Uh, and and I think you know before. The change of the election date, people were, were talking about Labour basically strolling to the win uh, and strolling to some huge number, whereas now there are questions. And, and you've got to change, I feel, in the environment, at least anyway, in the community where people are starting to question. They're starting to become less kind. People outside of Auckland don't want Aucklanders to come to conferences in other areas of the country. Should I change uh, my flights, mate? <laughs> it's, it's that it's not the winter of discontent, but it is there is a change in the, the air. Spring and that of is unease. The last thing you want. <laughs> the spring you don't of want that going into an election. No, no, but I still think people will cut her and and the government a fair bit of slack over that stuff. But you you're right. It's maybe you know, not her deputy PM. No, maybe not. Stuff like the child poverty stuff though is is the kind of thing that they can take responsibility and should be taking responsibility for. She is the Child Poverty Reduction Minister. And it won't be debated. And, and it won't she's, be debated she's in promised, the campaign. At the start of the, the term, they promised 70,000 kids out of out of poverty, and now on the back of this UNICEF report today, they're saying, look, we've got 18,500 out, aren't we great? So, you know, it's a long way from the promised results. Exactly. And, and that is on them. And Guyon says it won't be debated. So maybe this is a future caucus podcast yeah, where we look through the lists of what they said. Well, I think it should be. I'm achieve. just saying that's, you know, yeah. I think it's, it's a, it is a COVID election, isn't it? Yeah, it is. No doubt about that. And, and so let's, before we wrap up, let's just talk about who's actually in this government and dealing with COVID. Because according to Winston Peters uh, on the election trail, um, now because he didn't even wait for Parliament to end to get back on the trail, he said yesterday, oh, Government? What government? Not my government. The fact of the matter is that the Labour ministers are the only ones in charge of that. We did foreign affairs, others did defence and everything else, but they were in charge of that. And there were mistakes made. And it's better to own up to them, because the sooner we own up to them, the more quickly we can fix them. Don't keep on gilding the lily and saying everything was fine. It wasn't fine. The testing wasn't going on, the surveillance wasn't going on. The oversight and scrutineering that should have been done by the military did not happen and masks were not used. We haven't done as well as we could have done. Well, that's absurd. I mean, is he not going to take any responsibility for the financial direction of the government because he didn't have that portfolio? I mean, have we heard of Cabinet Collective Responsibility? Talk I mean, it's supposed that. to be a single government. That w- The Cabinet decisions you sign up to, you're bound by them. Now, And he has been at the Cabinet table signing well, up to the Cabinet and he, response. And he's been the number two. And he talked about how we'd crushed COVID and we'd kicked it and he used all these other great sound bites and how, how well we'd done. Um, and now um, th- that he's on the campaign trail, he, he's, he's somehow trying to contort himself into this idea that he's actually holding the government to the account. He, but at one level, this is correct, right? the fourth you, government you're, you're he's saying... been in and he's in the government as the number two. Yeah. So to turn around and try and say, oh, this government hasn't done very well is absurd. And it's not just tricksy politics. You're saying that actually from a collective... Co- you know, cabinet collective responsibility. There were rules around this stuff that he is actually 
bound to the cabinet decisions. Yeah, there are. And famously, um, people have have resigned in the past before before doing that. Before criticising cabinet. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and Natudia yep, all those years back didn't agree with the CBN and Foreshore and, and walked from the cabinet collective responsibility. Um, one of the things that uh, we, there's been these platitudes um, normally coming from Winston or, or some some of the his supporters about New Zealand first finally making it through a term in government and not getting to the end without falling out of favour. When does Parliament actually rise and, and when is Rit Day? And is there still an opportunity that that platitude goes he could out? Still the quit the, well, the Parliament's out, but he could still quit the government, I guess. Well, you know, all bets are off now, aren't they? And as Guy points out, Winston has skipped out of school early and got onto his campaign bus to head off into the sunset to scrape every last vote up, which, if the polls are anything to go by, he's going to need because the trend puts them well below where they need to be. So he is using to, you know, use an old quite any means necessary to to get what he needs to to get over the line and yeah. if that's um, you know throwing crap Does, on the others well. he's doing it <laughs> and it doesn't bode well for our incoming government right which whoever is in power in the beehive for the next three years has got a hell of a job just to try and right the ship and get us back in again well the Greens the don't you know the Greens don't want to work with um, uh, New Zealand First New Zealand First don't want to work with the Greens we know we knew that much but it's becoming pretty very brutal now isn't it it's called an election and we're going to get into that um, over the next few weeks because, you know, it's actually campaign time now, everybody. Quite looking forward to this, this next, uh, next little period. Do we get a we? bus? Do I, does our caucus get a bus? <laughs> you might get an apology, mate, by the end of the election campaign time. All right, everybody. Thank you. Scott Campbell, Guy Nespina, Lisa Ryan and me, Tim Watkin. That's the caucus podcast for this week. You can subscribe and get this podcast delivered to your devices for free at any of the, uh, the usual apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or find your way from the RNZ website if you want to go looking. It's been great to have your company this week. We'll see you again next Thursday. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.